I'm Laura Harper-Lake. And I'm Sarah Reitzman, and you're you're listening listening to Creative Guts. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Creative Guts. We are back in the studio for our first in-person, physically distant interview in many, many months. And hanging out with us is Anne Kenny of Industrial Quilts. Anne's studio is a directly across from Laura's at Art Up Front Street in Exeter, New Hampshire. So she's not totally new to our regular listeners. Anne has appeared in the bloopers a handful of times. That's right. She has a very infectious laugh, I would say. <laughs> and she is a wealth of artistic inspiration and her work is truly stunning. So let's give you some of that inspiration. We're going to jump into this episode of Creative Guts with Anne Kenny. Welcome, Anne Kenny, to the Creative Guts podcast. Thank you. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. I am happy to be here. I know all about your podcast. I love it. Aw, so Anne is a studio mate of mine. She is an artist at Art of Front Street Studios and Gallery in Exeter and has been on our list since the beginning to interview. Since we are getting back into interviewing, it felt like it was the right time to do someone super local who we could feel comfortable and safe with as we get our bearings with interviewing during the pandemic. (laughs) It's possible we're feeling a little rusty. (laughs) Yes, but... It is okay. You're going to forgive us because you're going to hear amazing inspiration from Anne. Oh, well, I hope so. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) We set the bar. (laughs) So Anne, why don't you give us a synopsis of you as a creative? Well, in a synopsis, I grew up in a creative home and it started with my mom letting us pick out all our fabrics and sewed our clothes until that was very awkward, (laughs) middle school. Um, And my grandmother knitted Irish sweaters, and they were from Ireland, my mom, my grandmother. And so I think that whole craft, art, creative spirit was in the family. So by the time I went to college, I studied fine arts textiles at Indiana University. Hmm. I didn't start there my freshman year, but I found my way there by the end of sophomore year. And I just, you know, I think I came back to a love of creativity, color, textiles. And so at school, we had a great program. I mean, it was weaving, dyeing, photographic silkscreen, papermaking. It was a pretty advanced department at that time. This was the early 80s. And women's art and handmade art craft, whatever you want to call it, fine craft at the time was really big. Um, so I left college and I made, uh, my own fabric, painted my own fabric, made quilts, made all sorts of stuff and did the fairs around the South. We moved to Louisiana. So I was doing outdoor craft fairs, selling my wares, um, <laughs> which was, is another story of its own, but we ended up moving to New Hampshire in 1986 And when I moved up here, I was making my work, joined the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen, and my husband was studying the mill history and the mill girls, and I got completely involved in that. I was very interested in the Industrial Revolution, the mill girls, uh, 
the thought of them going from the farm to the factory to the producing textiles by machine, you know, machine looms. Mm. And what a change of life that was from the handwork to the machine work. And um, also they went from the farm not having any economic opportunities or social life. They just work with the family. So they went to the mills and it just changed their lives dramatically. However, the cost of that was long hours overseen by kind of the men that operated the mills. Um, But they started their own journals. They started uh, unions. They, They were very social. They had their own money. So In a nutshell, I could go on and on, but that just fascinated me. And I started thinking about what I was making and what did I have to say about my life and what was interesting to me about kind of my modern environment as opposed to this history that I was researching. And we went around to all the mills, the Lowell Mills, the Amiskeg Mills here in Manchester, up to Canada, into France. And we really dug into the history of the Industrial Revolution. Washington, D.C. was another spot. So I took off time making my work. I just stopped because I think my mind was changing in in my aesthetics and what I wanted to say. So I came one day in my studio, I came up with this idea of a quilt that would look both machine-made and handmade. So kind of a new aesthetic that bridged that delicacy, intimacy, and handwork with the modern industry, factories, and now, of course, technology and innovation. And so I got on this role, as you do in your studio sometimes, and just playing with some materials. And I had some screen I had used at college. And um, so I started stitching with wire again instead of using a sewing machine. And I just fell in love with the materials and the handwork. And I called them industrial quilts, which was kind of a new, you know, word for for the work. I didn't know if people were going to take to it. And fiber people, it caused a kind of controversy because could I still be in a... textile show or not so the whole art exhibit thing was really (laughs) a little tricky Um, but I did start showing uh, all over and a lot of people embraced the work and uh, including around here I mean the Hood Museum the Courier Museum um, had my work at their museums and uh, so that was very encouraging and then you know just to kind of get to current times, um, I was digging around some metal salvage yards. So some of my current work I call kind of post-industrial, but I picked up a bunch of microchips and old circuit boards that were actually made in the Amiskeg mills during uh, the late 80s and 90s. They were, you know, discarding these parts. And um they were so beautiful and interesting. So I got on another wave of research with the microchips, the integrated circuit, which has a lot of aesthetics that remind me of a quilt when you break mm-hmm. apart a chip. So currently I'm incorporating these parts. Uh, before I was using some natural materials, domestic objects. I liked the uh, pop artist Jasper Johns, Rauschenberg, you know, using those objects. They called it, you know, the gap between art and life. So anyway, I won't go on and on. But if that's 
you know, that kind of gives you a starting point. It is so <laughs> fascinating the way the work has traveled. Like you literally traveled and sort of discovered this realm of history, especially with your husband, who is a professor, correct? Yes. And so you two shared that. Yes. And did he see it in the same creative light that you did or or did you, or was he kind of surprised by that he was surprised by my work like he was he's an economist but and he studies history of economic thought but he also is in the humanities mm-hmm. you know he was looking at it from a different angle a, a academic one but i think he he definitely told me he loved my industrial quilts he thought it did capture kind of that aesthetic of those two time periods, you know, so. Ugh. So that was nice. That's that was so nice. cool. It's funny, I never thought to ask you if you started in textiles, but as soon as you said that, I thought, well, duh, of course she did. It, it yeah. totally shows in your work. And I love the thought to the history of it. So when you... When I first heard of these industrial quilts, I was just thinking about it as like a style or an aesthetic thing versus a time period or a period in history, industrial quilts and post-industrial quilts. And it's very cool. So when did you, what year was it when you were first in your studio, you know, milling on this idea? Uh, fun. Yeah, it was, um, it was right around 1989-90. Okay. 1990. I remember the first quilt I really showed in an exhibit was 1990. So, and actually it was shown at the UNH Art Gallery in a show. So I was like, I can't believe they're including it in a show because I didn't think, I thought people were going to have a hard time with the work. I did. It was kind of new and different. But um, the curator there showed it in an exhibit there and that was kind of the start of, okay, I am really happy with this work. I want to keep doing this. And, you know, the fact you can actually show it somewhere was a plus. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you did something that was sort of like innovative and new enough to cause Mm. a controversy. So do you still get that over using the word quilts? Not anymore. At the time I was showing my other quilt work in some fiber shows. And so um, that was kind of the avenue I was looking at for exhibits. Well, then I entered this national quilt, the Quilt Barn exhibit in Ohio, I think it was at the time. And they saw a photograph of the work and I think they didn't realize how much metal there was because there was stitching and kind of paintings and, and but there were the layers of the mesh and mm. the bronze screen and everything. And when it was shown in the exhibit, the kind of old guard was having a really hard time. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I got blackballed after that year, possibly. But what was interesting is all the contemporary art quilt artists loved my stuff. And so then I got, I was uh, in a show in New York City with a curator from the Museum of Arts and Design, Ursula Ilse Newman. And she loved my work. She saw it in Baltimore. And a writer there of a magazine saw it. And I I was included in uh, a show called Six Continents of Quilts, where they had art quilts from women all over the world. So that, you know, so the art quilt became a kind of important new art form in a way, and it was embracing all the innovation 
people like me were doing. We were using different materials. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, people were really spreading wings. So the old guard kind of, I'm not sure if they eventually embraced (laughs) a lot of us, but, (laughs) but, um, um, but that six continents of quilts, like when I saw all the art quilts at that show, I was floored by the innovation and the creativity and the uniqueness of everybody. That curator made all those quilts part of the permanent collection of that museum in New York, which was a big deal for us art quilt wow. women. Yeah, so they have that whole collection of art quilts. So you are you have pieces in, in a few museums, right? Yes. Uh, the Courier purchased a piece of mine. I was in a special show there um, uh, that was curated, and it was, you know, the theme was thread women in kind of textiles, mm-hmm. but obviously some innovative, some more traditional. And so the Courier actually purchased a piece for the permanent collection. And it's been shown at the Courier a few times, but it's not up right now as far as I know. Um, but that was that was a, a huge compliment. Yeah, That's extremely exciting. Yeah. I would... I would just be so over the moon if I had a piece in a museum. Yeah. So yeah. congratulations. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So cool. And that Amoskeg Mill history, you know, with the courier, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I was really glad they they got a piece. Your pieces are in many, many homes. I have, I, I've lost track of all the sales I've personally witnessed <laughs> while across the hall from you. Do you know, I'm a, I, there must be some of yours that now live in some mills. As you know, residents who rent or or Full own circle. I was just thinking, like, do you? I yes. wonder if you know some of the mills in uh, you know Newmarket or Dover or you know wherever some might be. You know, that's so interesting. You thought of that because I haven't thought of it. Yeah. But now that you say that, there was a man that saw an article in the paper about Art Up Front Street, and and my quote, you know, was mentioned in there. He's an architect from Portsmouth who renovated a a kind of mill carriage house or something. And he bought my piece like, I don't know, 20 years ago. Would it be 20 years, 15 to 20 years ago? And he came in and he said, I bought that nest piece way back in the 90s, late 90s. I don't know when it was. And, um... Now that you say that, that was such a highlight just this past year that some, because I haven't kept track of where they yeah. all are. I wish I had, but yeah. so yeah, I full circle. <laughs> yeah. Right. I bet there are some others sprinkled throughout that, you know, yeah. maybe when they bought them, they weren't residing in a, in a mill apartment, but yeah. now are. And, yeah. you know, I think uh, against the, you know, natural wood and, you know, the beans and the brick, I mean, you know, the material you're using is not only reminiscent of like industrial material but just Mm. the aesthetic look the color and the shapes and everything you know it's a lot of kind of uh coppers and greens and umber like just it feels like you're in a mill yes well i'm happy to hear you say that because Mm -hmm. that was part of my thought like you know salvaging and just riding the train here along the coast and seeing the back of old brick you know industry mill buildings I would say I kind of wanted my quilts to have that look of the patinaed copper and the rusted mesh and the, yeah. Yeah. so it's, so that was definitely an aesthetic I was going for. Mm-hmm. So to hear you say that is flattering. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. feels like new and old at the same yes. time. Yeah. That's so perfect. I think that Thank means, you. I think that means timeless, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely wanted to contrast that kind of modern 
with the traditional and even with the quilt, a kind of traditional quilt, but with modern materials. So cool. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about sourcing of materials. Like, do you find yourself, say, like taking people's old computers and using any pieces from that? Or is it mostly just salvaging from like, where where do you find this stuff? I would say most of the parts uh, were cast off parts. So they hadn't been put in the computer yet, which made it very easy for me to use the parts. And they're beautiful parts. Aesthetically, Mm -hmm. they're really interesting and they have holes in them so I can stitch through them or I punch holes and and I found a bunch of microchips and I hoarded a lot of materials back then like a <laughs> lot and uh I have a storage unit across the street from our studio here but um and I didn't even know what I was going to do with them at the time yeah. I didn't know they were going to find their way into my work mm-hmm. so how funny is that um but uh I some people like Mal he'll he'll take apart a computer and he kind of knows what I'm looking for parts that I can kind of manage because I want them to still be somewhat delicate and I like the patterning and things but I don't really go and take apart a computer to get my parts. So sometimes your the materials that you just sort of have or hoarded or have lying around or somebody gave to you inspires the final product instead of the other way around. Yes. I, you know, I, uh, I use this traditional format of squares and squares and squares and layers and layers of the mesh. And then, yes, the, f- the play part is deciding what materials, what's the next series of quilts going to be. And, you know, sometimes I jump around a little bit um, – uh, but yeah, that's, you know, and then painting the patina with patina and dye yeah. on the copper. I enjoy that. And then the stitching may look, you know, different here and there, but, um, there's a certain consistency to my aesthetics for sure. That's cool. Yeah. Do you still work with fabric at all? Do you, do you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't. And I do at home. Like, you know, I love fabric and I kind of hoard a little fabric (laughs) Uh, and I'll make, you know, pillows or, you know, I might come up with a blanket thing. But I, ironically, I've left fabric behind, Yeah, you know, and it used, I was consumed with fabric after leaving college, but, you know, I just did this major shift. So the materials were just so intriguing, you know, they took over. That's so fun. <laughs> and stitching with wire has been the, one of the greatest uh, finds for me. It's really cool. Yeah. I love stitching with wire. Yeah. I've been totally smitten with just how sort of creative and innovative and out of the box it was ever since I first came to, to Art Up Front Street. Oh, so. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So how did you find yourself, speaking of Art Up Front Street, at Art Up Front Street and sort of what's it like being in the space with all these other brilliant artists? Well, funny you should say that. I actually had a studio in a little mill building that I purchased in... um, Of course, the mill building. (laughs) Yeah, in Pembroke there, in their little downtown Suncook Village. And um, I, I had kids at the time, so it was really good to have a separate place to work, especially with my materials were a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, so I worked there for a long time alone, a lot of nights, you know, night shifts and things. And I, we ended up moving to Exeter. And so 
that studio was so far away. And uh, I ended up selling the building, which was going to need a lot of work. I didn't have a lot of money to take care of the building at some point, And somebody bought it, which was great. So I'm in Exeter wondering how I'm going to get a studio and how can I find a studio I can afford. And I read the local paper one day, Laura Bricker, the writer, and there's Rose and Art up Front Street in the article in the paper. And it just, I get so lucky sometimes. <laughs> and I see this article and it says rental studios, da 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 da. So I run over here, I run. And I bring my portfolio <laughs> and I'm like, I would love to have a studio here. I'll pay you a year up front if I have to, you know. And she's, well, let me check everything out. And let me see your work. And uh, so uh, we hit it off and she wasn't full yet. So that was great. Then I end up having another studio mate here, Deb Wheeler Bean, the art teacher in town, who had, my daughter had her. Well, I knew about her. She knew about me. I mean, the whole thing was a meant to be. It was meant to be. And then this whole new environment of working with other artists, like before, I didn't know I'd be able to do that. Yeah. I always worked alone and got in my zone. I love this. And I, you know, at my age right now, the whole social aspect and creative aspect of this place is just, you know, has been a... Uh, a real gift, a gift. I feel like there's a feedback loop of creativity at Art Up Front Street yeah. and probably many other artist collectives where we're all just sort of pinging off each other. Yeah. And I feel like we're really helping each other get motivated too. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. I feel a little deflated when I come in and I, I see you or Deb or Dawn or anyone here. And all of a sudden my batteries are sort of just recharged by osmosis. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I come in here, if anybody walks in, there is, there's this energy here. And it's amazing what we have nine of us here. And everybody's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, how can you get nine artists together and everybody is fantastic? There's yeah. not a sour one in the bunch. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, like the field of dreams, Rose built it and they came, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, yep. it's basically uh, somehow she, you know, had this spirit. Yeah, so it's just been such a pleasure. Yeah, and I love being around you younger artists. I mean, for me, that's really invigorating. Um, and to have feedback from younger people, you feel like, oh, if they like your work, you haven't dated yourself. You know, you feel still contemporary. Uh, that's always a nice feeling. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. The diversity here is so great, too, looking yeah. at all of the like mm -hmm. we're sitting in the in the gallery right now and like looking at all the different mediums and styles. And it's really yeah. fantastic. Yeah. You mentioned a few museums that have collected your pieces, and we are talking about the gallery that, you know, represents you all the time. But what about the other galleries that you've shown at, particularly all over the world, uh, New York City, and I believe you were part of a traveling exhibit. What has that been like? And maybe you could speak about the differences as far as, you know, showing work here versus New York City gallery. You know, in the back of my head, there's this naive little, oh, it must be so chic and Sarah's shaking her head. I was head. thinking terrifying. <laughs> no, yeah, no, scary. Very intimidating. But like, you must be so chic and like highfalutin. And <laughs> and is it that? Is it is that kind of an overblown assumption? Or is it kind of intimidating and a little uppity? 
Do you know, ending with, you know, your last part there, I do not get intimidated. You know, as an artist, you know how you can just be so confident about your work. Mm -hmm. You're just into your work. So if you're like that (laughs) and you go, no, and you go to New York City, you're feeling good. You know, the hard part is how much work it is. Mm -hmm. Like you are out of your studio and you're doing different kind of work, which is you're planning, you're packaging, you're installing, you're getting ready for an artist talk, you know. So you have to have a lot of energy uh, Mm -hmm. that's different than just coming and making artwork. So you have to gear up for that. So like I had the New York City show in November, but it was good timing. I was ready to do another big show, okay, and I know, you know, I'm going to gear up for this. I'm going to sleep good. I'm going to (laughs) power up. And uh, it was a great show. Uh, It was a great space uh, in the um, Chelsea Hudson Yards area. There was an opening. There was a separate artist talk. The people that came were, you know, fantastic, actually. There's a lot of art enthusiasts in Mm -hmm. New York City, and they know a lot. So when you talk about, like, your art and the mills and this, they get it. Mm -hmm. Like, they're very well thought out people. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess they see so much art in New York City. So. So that felt good because, yeah, you don't want to go and everybody says, you know, so (laughs) I had some really good feedback. So that was a wonderful show. So that's another New York City. um, There was a show earlier, the woman that put together the show that went around the world. They had it at this uh, USB gallery. It was a big gallery at the time. They rolled out a red carpet and it was a like you say high flute and it people were all dressed up wow I wasn't intimidated but I was floored yeah you know I I was like and I had my husband my two-year-old was around (laughs) at the time so I mean the whole thing was like wow um so that's probably you know that was one of those unique times but that show I didn't have to do the work because the museum ended Mm up you know purchasing all the pieces so they did all the shipping all the you know, work, they put a book together, they sent it to all these other countries, she traveled the exhibit around here and over there and stuff. But galleries, I used to sell quite a bit with McGowan Fine Art in Concord. And she's since retired. And unfortunately, the gallery closed with the new owner, but she ended up doing a lot of work for me, she sold to the corporate market, and she had all these connections. So that was easy. And then she'd, you know, put on the shows. That was easy, you know. <laughs> yep. So uh, the local thing is really, you know, it's so much easier than the big shows mm-hmm. that you do at the galleries, That's you know. awesome. Yeah, but it's it's a fair amount of work. Absolutely. <laughs> and I expense. Mean, just the thought of packaging <laughs> your pieces. Yeah. I mean, they're very delicate and dangerous, which is a really interesting combination. So packing them must have been a challenge in themselves. Oh, it it takes a lot of time. Like I came up with a method. I've had a few, I used to do wood crates and that was crazy. But (laughs) now I do foam core and I actually stitch the quilts with wire to the foam core. So I have kind of a foam core box and then I put that in a cardboard box. Mm -hmm. So like this New York show, it took me weeks just to get all that together. And then the expense of it and the time, I mean, it is, it's an undertaking, but, um, but I have found a way where it, it ships pretty well. But like you say, it's a whole other dimension to doing art, you know, Mm -hmm. like anything you do, there's, you know, uh, the more challenging areas. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking through the like logistics of this now and I'm like, I have so many follow up questions like 
definitely got to check those bags if you fly with them, but you probably just ship them, right? That must be cheaper. Yeah. It's just, yeah. that's, yeah, <laughs> wild. <laughs> and then I had to rent a, you know, minivan, a van to get all the pieces oh to New York, wow. you know, instead of shipping, which would have been just outrageous. Um, so, you know. And you line it all up. It's like, whew. Logistics. How do, how Logistics. do you wake up to go to the opening? Yeah. 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 I tell you, I was on a high. Uh, yeah. Rose knew. I was like pumping. <laughs> I felt like I was 25 again. Like my energy just peaked. And then Christmas came and I'm like, phew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, nice that it was last year and not this year. Yeah, um. I know. I, I mean, this was open November, December through to part of January. Mm-hmm. And then it was over. And it, I mean, seriously, right it was right before the pandemic. And we were in New York City in December and January. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I, yeah, that brings us lucky. to a, another question. <laughs> Which you had written, I think. Yeah, it'd be weird not to ask you about the coronavirus, and it's already come up. So what was the impact of the pandemic and the the isolation on your creativity and on you as an artist? The pandemic's been a huge challenge. And I was a big reader of the pandemic when it started in China. And I was reading all the epidemiologists, what they were saying, and I got a little you know, OCD on facts and information, Laura, yeah. you hear me? I was so I was, that too. I was out buying all sorts of, you know, medicine and all sorts of stuff to be prepared. And that really takes your mind off being creative. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. And um, then the thought you couldn't come to the studio, you know, at the beginning. It, yeah, we you, were closed. Everybody for was hype. Yeah. So I, I had a hard time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely because I come to the studio all the time. You know, I also have a part-time job. but And um, it was tough. I took a lot of walks on the river and really tried to get my mind off it. Uh, so it, it was hard. Um, I tried, well, I actually set up painting in my house. So I had paints and an easel I set up in the kitchen because I have a kind of small house. And so I started painting because I thought, I've got to be creative or I'm going to drive myself crazy. Mm-hmm. And so that was really fun. And then my daughter comes home from college. They don't go back after spring break. So I got her painting and doing stuff. (laughs) And so I found a way to get through it, which was not easy. And uh, But I can't tell you how happy we all are to be able to come in here. We wear our masks. We're careful. We're all very clean and thoughtful. But we finally feel like, yeah, we're back in your schedule. And so I feel creative. Like it didn't hurt my wanting to make things. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't hurt. You know, I, I knew what I wanted to make all of a sudden again. So, you know. Yeah. That's... I had totally forgot that I saw that you were painting on Instagram, you know, out in the garden during the coronavirus. Were, did you, have you done a lot of painting before that? Was that sort of a newer thing for you? Well, you know, I did painting in college, you know, um, and then my very first industrial quilt playing in the studio was little acrylic paintings on canvas that I stitched to the screen and everything. So anyway, isn't that wild? (laughs) I want to see it. (laughs) So I still have the first two that I made. And, you know, and yeah, so throughout the years, when I just need a mental break from the quilts, you say, I got to step back. I'm not sure what I'm going to 
make next and I'm just going to think about it or do a little research, I would paint and paint in the studio, paint on paper, paint on canvas. So it's such a release because I can just use color. I can make a mistake. I can paint over something. I paint over paintings all the time. Get it out after a couple of years. I'm going to paint over that. Yep. <laughs> and um, so that's like my side relaxation. And it's definitely good to get away from your work now and then and then come back at it. So it helps me do that. That's so nice. Yeah. And so you were painting with your daughter, aside from, you know, COVID times, I'm sh- I'm guessing you've weaved creativity throughout their lives. You know, they've grown up seeing you make these amazing pieces. You know, do they explore their own creativity in a similar fashion? Or, you know, how do you think that kind of uh, influenced them? Well, you know, both my kids were exposed to a lot of art and hands-on stuff. And uh, neither of them really chose art as a, you know, wanting to go to school and study art. But I would say they're both very creative. Mm. Um, My oldest one is a writer, a reader. She used to do a lot of creative writing and stories when she was younger. And she's off in London working for a company, doing research, briefing, has clients, you know, and she's just full of information. Uh, She's read a lot, you know, so that's kind of her creative outlet. And then she travels the world. She's been to... I don't know how many countries now. So those have been her two things. And travel is another creative part of her life. And then my younger daughter is just about to graduate this next year college. And she is in medical technology. So she really kind of likes innovation, tech, Mm. and also service, kind of something that helps people. But she would do beading, you know, and jewelry. And, you know, she loved to draw And now, you know, she started painting with me and now she loves design, you know, Mm -hmm. just interior design and things. Uh, She's got her own, you know, apartment this year. So you can see it comes out. Uh, It might not be exactly what I do or anything, but you've allowed the person to have these other avenues Mm. of creativity. Is it time for rapid fire? I think it's just about time. Yeah. You well know what rapid fire questions are. They are quick questions with quick answers, right? Okay. (laughs) I just don't know how good I am at rapid fire. They are quick questions with long air answers that we edit down to be short answers. Okay. Yeah. It's all a trick. Cut out every other word. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Listeners, she didn't hear that. Okay. Um... What is your favorite color? Kind of a blue-green, tealish ocean color. It's a great color. Sounds beautiful. I that's think. A, that's a good realm of color. But it's hard to have just one color. I know. Yeah. I that's know. a tricky question. Yeah, they're all good. <laughs> What's your favorite scent? Um, lilacs. Mm. I love the smell of lilac flowers. Mm. What's your favorite taste? Lilacs? <laughs> uh, uh, Tasso from Louisiana. Do you know what that is? I don't know what that Can is. Can it be food? Oh, yes. Tasso is a cayenne-covered uh, ham product that they we order. Oh. We have it shipped up here. Tass- oh, my. T-A-S-S-O, if nobody knows about it. If you, you have it shipped it up, up and- here, then it definitely is your favorite. That <laughs> yeah. is great lengths to get Louisiana that Louisiana had some great food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite sound? Well, speaking of... The sound of wind going through leaves in a tree. Because when I moved to Louisiana, there weren't the trees like they were in the Midwest or up here. I'm from Indiana. 
And um, when I came back here, I was like, oh, my God, I love the sound of wind in trees. Mm. It's I didn't, so, it's you didn't, so poetic. I didn't know I missed it until I didn't have it. Yeah. You know, I took it for granted. So I've always thought of that. Like, and so I sit in my backyard and that's like my favorite, one of my favorite oh, sounds. I love yeah. that. That's wonderful. Yeah. And what is your favorite texture to touch? I'm going to have Sarah act this one out. <laughs> we always it's do that. Paws. Like, yeah. Like what's your favorite <laughs> texture to touch? Like to feel. Um... I, well, it's definitely textile related. It's fabrics. And then I fray this electrical wire and I love to fray it and touch it. Aww. It's like a um, biofeedback thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a so, great answer. Isn't that weird? But that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. I love that your favorite texture is tied to your art. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What other artist has influenced you the most? What other artist is that? Uh, through history or contemporary or just your anything artists. you want. My favorite artist, or or who has influenced you the most? Maybe who said something that reframes the way you thought about how to make your work, or you know. You know, I'm gonna say today, right at this moment, and I'll probably think of somebody else later too. But Robert Rauschenberg, who was part of the pop artists made me see art in a different way. When I went to New York City and saw his work in person, it had objects on paintings, and he did these unusual multimedia kind of surfaces. And I think that inspired me to think about, I liked painting, I liked textiles, mm. I liked objects, I liked industrial, you know, I call it industrial elegance, but industrial objects. And so I think he... he probably at a good point in my life uh inspired what I make now very oh, cool that's so awesome yeah uh you're with a family of travelers but um what is the most inspiring location you have traveled to Paris Paris Ooh. Paris mm. I I love Paris I love everything about it yeah and like France in general the bread Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the food, it's the art, it's the buildings, it's the people, it's the romance. It's mm. like, yeah. Do you listen to music while you create? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes I do. And other times, a lot of times I'm just quiet. Or, I mean, I don't listen to music. You know, I just get in my head and I forget that I'm listening and instead I'm kind of looking and stitching. So I forget to even have the music on, yeah. you know? Yeah. When you do listen to music, what do you like to listen to? Well, I have an eclectic um, uh, sense of music. I mean, you know, I mean, of course I like jazz, but I like contemporary Khalid or whoever he is. <laughs> and uh, Eilish, Billie Eilish, Billie Eilish uh, lately. Yeah. I mean, and Dawn, then... Dawn loves her. Yeah. I oh, do too, really? but yeah. Dawn got me into her like yeah. four years ago or yeah. something. Because I'm always looking for new music, but mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely like the 70s, 80s, 90s. I love rhythm and blues, Motown, mm. you know, I and, you know, I have all sorts of music on my phone, so I'll turn it on here sometimes, um, usually when I'm alone. I don't think I play a lot of music when others are here, but... Um, 
Yeah, so I'm kind of all over the place. I love it. A little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. And I loved your sort of like Khalid with a question mark. <laughs> like when we had Emily Slama on, who was a jeweler, and she was like, well, you're going to laugh, but I really like to listen to Post Malone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your favorite uh, relaxing pastime? Pastime? Yeah, like what is something that you like to do, not art related? Oh, oh. <laughs> Well, you know, travel is one thing, but uh, we go to the ocean all the time. Mm. I love walking the ocean, love the waves, love the, you know, its sound, its sight. So uh, the ocean, I mean, if if the pandemic weren't here, we, uh, we'd take a walk like every day. Yeah. You know, except for when it's God, 90, you're 90 make, degrees. You're making me want to go right now. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, Yeah. That's special. Yeah. 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 We're in a lucky spot. Yeah. And I come from Indiana. There was no ocean. You <laughs> yeah. know, so funny when you move around, you can really appreciate something you never had. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? so, you know, people kind of take it for granted, but. Follow up. Quick rapid fire question. Where's your favorite place to walk on the ocean as far as New Hampshire coastline goes? Because we've got a couple of different, you know beaches well that Janice beach area yeah uh we park at that cable road or the neighborhood you can't right now but um that's a nice long beach a long walk back and forth so that's our favorite and when the tide's out it's great and when the tide's in it's not too bad but um that's our that's our favorite spot yeah it's nice uh last question if you could go back in time what advice would you give your younger self I would say not to be too much of a perfectionist. I was probably a little too much of a perfectionist and didn't have to be. Yeah. So I would say that would be advice I would have given myself. That's really good advice. I'm less perfectionist now, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well... We can't thank you enough for being on the show, Anne. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Been- this was exciting because I've known about your podcasts. And <laughs> I, you know, my daughter and I have listened to them in the car, going to New York City. <laughs> and uh, so I'm thrilled. I'm flattered. I, I think you guys are awesome. I think your energy and your youth and your creativity is is really wonderful Ooh, thank you yeah uh, thank you that's yeah. awesome you you yeah. have def- every episode i always feel inspired after and now i just want to like charge into my studio and make after talking to you so <laughs> it is incredibly contagious thanks laura <laughs> yeah. and it was very nice you made it very easy for us getting back into interviewing we weren't quite as rusty as i thought we were going to be we bad. did okay yeah <laughs> i thought you guys did fabulous yeah thank I'm you. like you're you, it's in our blood now sarah yeah i think you have a real comfort with the whole thing so that shows it shows we aim to you know make our we're goofy enough that our guests feel relaxed hopefully well you do (laughs) you make people feel really relaxed yeah uh yeah there's no pressure we can edit i feel like that's like the i think a live show is always more nerve-wracking probably yes (laughs) definitely definitely so it's it's nice and easy you know yeah (laughs) and so with that Show us your creative guts. Another huge, gigantic thank you to Anne Kenny for joining us on Creative Guts, especially as our first in-person interview in a long time. I have been a big fan of Anne's work since I first started hanging out at Art Up Front Street last year, so it was really nice to finally be able to ask her all my questions.
I feel so lucky and honored to know Anne. She has always been a refreshing force in the studio, and her work really is so unique. It inspires me to look at history differently and what materials can be used for. Thank you again, Anne. Check out Anne's work on the web at industrialquilts.com, on Facebook, facebook.com slash industrialquilts, and Instagram, instagram.com slash industrialquilts. As always, get more of us at creativegutspodcast.com and come hang out with us on social media. Our handle is Creative Guts Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And as you probably know, the podcast is available everywhere where you can listen to podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Creative Guts. We'll be back next week with another episode. Nothingness of everybody. We're just going to pause for the train. For the train. For the, oh, jeez, the train. And every time a stupid motorcycle goes by, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's loud. I mean, it's been relatively quiet, yeah. honestly. In comparison. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we'll just uh, give it a hot second. <laughs> so what was the impact of the pandemic and the, the isolation on your creativity? And as you want to... Uh, a blooper yay yay don't you eat another tomato (laughs) i heard a (laughs) she's eating (laughs) you thought i'd be silent you did (laughs) these mics are so sensitive they pick up everything oh my gosh this mic did me dirty you look like you look like a kid caught with like their hand in the cookie jar that's uh right before i read something something about Anne. i was like shit i didn't read this ahead of time and realize i had to say something or something about Anne. so that was off the cuff and i feel good about it it was really good okay good that was probably your best off the cuffing (laughs) Woohoo! <laughs> that was such We're a not. that was such a hesitant woohoo. Like, woohoo! <laughs> Can you see the fear in my eyes? <laughs> and Kenny, conclusion, take one. Boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting it all out. We're getting it out. <laughs> <laughs>